Welcome to Star Trek Comic Book Review. Our several-year mission will be to boldly go where no podcast has gone before. We will be reviewing every Star Trek comic book ever published. These stories have been released by Gold Key, Marvel, DC, Malibu, Wildstorm, Tokyo Press, IDW, and others. Star Trek and all that the Star Trek universe contains is copyrighted by CBS Studios, Inc. Hello and welcome to Star Trek Comic Book Review with Donovan and Ken. Episode number 77, recorded March 1st, 2012. Yep, 2012. (laughs) Indeed. And we're finishing up the publishing year of 1991. There you go. (laughs) Episode 77. Yeah, so we just throw out all kinds of numbers here at the beginning just to make sure we thoroughly confuse everybody listening. Exactly. Issues 25 through 27. That you won't be listening to until April 2012. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. Yeah, so uh, so we're doing episode or issue number 25, 26, 27 that came out November, December of 91 and January of 92. And they're a part of a three-part story arc. Indeed. Featuring the outrageous Akona. And he is outrageous. He's so outrageous that I don't even remember that character from the one episode that he appeared in, in Next Gen. And the episode of that, or the name of that episode was The Outrageous Akona. Exactly, which is outrageous because I have no recollection of well, the character. Well, here's the big thing that's going to uh, re- make you realize that you don't, why you don't remember it. It was a season two episode. Yeah. And as we know, season two, not all that good. <laughs> It's the Pulaski, man. <laughs> it's the Pulaski factor. Oh, my God. It's the Pulaski factor. And Riker's just getting the beard. It's not fully in yet. You uh-huh. know, it's just, just an awkward season. Exactly. But there is a bright ray of sunshine in that episode in the form of... Uh, Terry Hatcher is in exactly. this episode. So I have read on, uh, on Memory Alpha. Yeah, so just so that you remember, you'll probably remember the storyline. Basically, uh, they find a ship that's uh, damaged, piloted by Akona, Akona. and uh, then they start trying to fix it and help him out, and then these two people from from uh, neighboring planets come in, and they both demand that uh, that uh, Akona gets um, placed into their custody. They're from two different planets that hate each other, right. very Romeo and Juliet type thing. Uh, and then one of them is accusing Akona from stealing this family jewel. Uh, and then the other planet is accusing Akona for impregnating their the leader's daughter. <gasps> you remember it now? No. And then, I, I read all this on. Uh, oh, oh, oh. and then come to anything. come to find out, uh, the uh, the son of the one planet that he's that's that he was accused of stealing the uh, jewel from gave the jewel to Akona to give to the girl that's impregnated with with uh, the the boy's kid. Right. And then, you know, everybody lives happily ever after, and Akona goes off on his merry way. On another adventure, with a repaired ship. Which, you know, nobody thought we would ever see Akona again. Despite but, his outrageousness. But Michael Jan Friedman decided that uh, we needed a little bit more. And we got it. And not to do a spoiler, but he's in all three of these issues, and he's also... Uh, I, I looked at issue number 31 just to kind of look at something, and he's there too, so we might get him for longer than we think. Oh, wow. Hmm. Okay. All right. something, something to look forward to, I guess. 
<laughs> All right. Well, uh, with that, let's just jump into these these uh, these great issues. Okay. The first one is entitled Wayward Son, and as I mentioned, it came out in November 1991. The writer was Michael Jan Friedman. Penciler was Peter Kraus. Inker is Pablo Marcos. Letterer, Bob Penaha. Colorist, Julianne Frieder. And editor is Robert Greenberger. So the cover shows an extreme close-up of Worf's face that takes up most of the cover. And then around his chin area, we see the Enterprise flying towards a white orb in the lower right-hand corner. Above this orb, we see shots of the Rosinko family, Jeremy Astor, young Alexander, and the outrageous Akona. And then the cover uh, up at the top says that the uh, issue will be called Family Reunion, which as soon as you turn the page, you find that is not the title. Anyways... The story starts off with the fulfillment of the storyline that everybody has been waiting for ever since issue number 15. So way back then, 10 issues ago, almost a year ago, uh, we had a couple of filler pages where we were introduced to a couple on the ship that was uh, about to have a baby. And then Crusher was uh, telling them that they're going to need bigger quarters, blah, blah, blah. We all thought it was filler. But oh no, here it pays out. So... The story starts off with the happy father holding his little baby boy in his arms there in sickbay. Worf, Riker, and Crusher are standing behind him, watching him gloat over his little newborn boy. We pan over and we see that the mother is still laid up in bed. Worf makes the comment that the baby will someday grow up to be a great security officer, just like his mother. To this, the new mother says, not so fast with the career planning. Crusher shoes off uh, Riker and Worf, saying that the parents need some alone time. Once in the hallway, and after seeing Data playing chess with the young young Andrew, who uh, we all know is kind of hanging out with uh, Data uh, from several issues back. Uh, so Data's playing chess with Andrew. Worf just saw this little baby boy. Starts getting getting him to feel a little wishy-washy or... Uh, sad about uh, Alexander. So uh, Riker kind of eggs him on, and then Worf finally admits that uh, he's wishing that he could be on Earth at that moment because his son Alexander is about to be meeting his Bond brother, Jeremy Astor, for the first time. Jeremy obviously is Worf's Bond brother, not not Alexander's. Uh, Jeremy is planning to spend some time with the Worf's adopted parents there in Russia, uh, and then their conversation is cut short when Picard calls them to the bridge. On Earth, at the airport, Jeremy has arrived via a odd-looking airplane. And Sergei and Helena Rosinko is there to greet him along with Alexander. Helena immediately starts bugging Jeremy about being hungry and he's too thin. While Sergei immediately starts saying that I can't wait to teach you how to play Parcheesi. That was a, a, a bad Russian accent, wasn't it? <laughs> Sounded Italian. It did. <laughs> Back on the Enterprise, uh, we find out that uh, the Enterprise has come across Akona's ship, the Erstwhile, but it's been abandoned. Uh, Riker is ordered to take an away team over to the ship to find out what's going on. Back on Earth, Jeremy and Alexander leave the house to play at a nearby playground. There, the Klingon boy states that he wishes he was human, and the human boy says that he wishes he was Klingon. 
Jeremy states that he is jealous of Alexander's heritage and that being a Klingon is very honorable. And then Alexander states that Klingons are deceitful and that only humans can be trustworthy. Back on the ship, Riker and Geordi are beaming over to the erstwhile in their full-blown fishbowl-style uh, spacesuits. Uh, once they're on the ship, they notice that Akuna has left a fortune in rare merchandise just laying about. And this proves that there's no way that he would have left his uh, ship intentionally. They uh, scan the transporter logs and they find no evidence that he used it to beam away. They're able to gleam a little bit of information from the environmental logs that show that Akuna was last aboard the ship when the ship was near a place called Alpha Pintra. They report these findings to Picard. Picard makes the decision that they need to travel to Alpha Pintra to check in. Uh, but he has a sinking feeling that they might find Akuna in the company of a beautiful woman and in no need of their assistance. Back on Earth, Alexander tells his family goodnight along with Jeremy, and goes off to bed. Once alone, Sergei spends a few moments with Jeremy to discuss Alexander's mistrust of Klingons. He is concerned that Alexander is troubled uh, by watching his mother die uh, at such a young age. They, being the Rosinkos, have tried to expose the young boy to Klingon heritage, uh, but he is not interested. Uh, he only is interested in being human. Back on the Enterprise, they have arrived at Alpha Pintra. They scan the planet and can only find a single life sign. They try to hail Akona, but there's no answer. Picard orders an away team and puts Troy in command of it, much to Riker's dismay. Picard states that the only way for someone to learn command is to be given it from time to time. A woman at the navigation station, which I'm assuming is, uh, her name is Allenby, but uh, she looks a little odd here. But uh, she's at the navigation station, and she informs the captain that there's an incoming message. And, and she's unable to translate it. So we see Worf, Troy, Crusher, and Data beam down to the planet. And as soon as they rematerialize, they're not wearing their uniforms anymore. They're wearing what looks like ancient Egyptian-style outfits. All of their tricorders and communication gear is gone. They are then greeted by Akuna, who immediately starts putting the moves on Crusher. Troy presses that she needs to know how Akuna arrived on the planet, and he says, My dear counselor, have I got a story for you? And his story and more will be answered in next issue. Yeah, uh, something to look forward to. I like this episode, or this issue, mainly for the wharf, not really the wharf part, but for Alexander and Jeremy's storyline. Ah, I dug. Nice. I dug that part. That's nice. But you did not. Ah, it was okay. Um, in the next issue, when Jeremy tells a story, I was drawn in a little bit by the story. Right. Um, it's a story that I did not remember the name. Well, I'm not going to go into it that much. Yeah. I was drawn into that that a little bit, but um, uh, I don't think I was digging it quite as much as you. Yeah, well, I just liked it because this issue I thought was really good because uh, you actually kind of get a feeling like, like, you know, random threads from the comic books, earlier comic book series, little threads from random episodes are kind of all woven in together in that, you know, 
things that happened in one random story can have ramifications, you know, years later. Oh, yeah. So we never saw Jeremy Astor again after that episode, The Bonding, which I think was a, uh, a third season episode where Jeremy's mom dies and he wants to be a Klingon like Worf, blah, blah, blah. Yeah. I mean, that was like a one-off episode, and you never hear from it again. Yet, he, here he is in the story, and he's going to meet Jeremy, who, or he's going to meet Alexander, and and I thought that was cool. And then I liked how the, the random boy liking data from you know back in issues six and seven eight somewhere around there yeah i like that they brought him back i just i liked i liked i liked that the only part i could deal with that was akuna and the baby <laughs> from 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 those filler pages back uh 10 10 10 issues ago right and as and you make a very good point about that i mean you just ticked off a whole bunch of characters and situations brought in from all over the place, right. converging on this series of three issues, and um, and that did make it kind of interesting. Uh, it might have been more interesting if I remembered more of where the, some of those threads came from. Like for example, the uh, the couple at the beginning that has the baby. It's like, what the heck is this? Okay, fine. So, you know, they show some other folks on the ship. Uh, having a baby, and that triggers Worf's uh, first little tugging at his heartstrings, saying, you know, I should be spending time with Alexander and uh, Jeremy. But I had no recollection that this was tied back to uh, a couple we saw uh, like a year ago in the comic book series. Oh, you don't, you don't, re- you don't, remember, don't remember that? that at all. I, 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 now that you mention it, I, re- I remember that filler thing going on and especially right. when uh when dr crusher was saying oh you'll need bigger quarters and blah 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 i remember that now that you mention it right but, right. but at the beginning of this issue i had no recollection that's what they were they're supposed to be the same people right so we we read that maybe what about a couple months ago yeah but a kid or a person buying 12. these books as they came out that was almost a year ago, before, yep. and it was a random two or three pages in, a, in issue number 15, Right. and then you're going to bring it up a year later and expect someone to tie the – connect the dots? Uh, well, it I, I didn't. It is a little odd, and I didn't, and you know, it didn't seem to dimen- d- diminish my enjoyment of the book, but, uh, but I did miss something there. Well, the only thing you missed was that it, it gave some sort of – reason why those filler pages were there 10, 10 issues ago <laughs> or at least that's all it did for me yeah i was like oh that's why they had those that's why they wasted like two or three pages in a 22 page book right. about somebody needing a bigger quarters because they got a they're gonna have a baby uh-huh <laughs> so uh, this, uh I, I assume it was of course uh friedman that wrote that other issue yeah yeah um, he, he's written all all yeah. these issues so far yeah. So uh, obviously he likes to plant seeds and bring things up. At right. Point and they brought back the little boy. I mean, we haven't seen him in a long time. I mean, since Data was taken over by right. that by that uh, other yep. artificial intelligence. Yep. 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 That was the last time we saw that little boy, and then he's in here too. So I, I like that. I like that that you're tying in all these little random bits. It's a lot of bits, though. It is a lot of bits. And if you didn't know what the bits were, it. Like you said, you didn't, you didn't feel like you were missing anything. No, 
you didn't need a little footnote that said, you know, Akona's from the episode <laughs> Outrageous Akona. Yeah, well. I don't know. I liked it. Yeah. I think on page 16, when I think Picard was going a little overboard with how much he feels he owes Akona. And and I it seemed to me like uh, like Picard was almost fawning over the guy. Yeah, and and I even watched that episode a couple of days ago just so that I can kind of get a, a refresher on the character and the right. story. And Picard didn't like it. I mean, he was kind of a jerk. He went around sleeping with everybody on the ship. Uh huh. And then he's getting accused of, you know, impregnating one girl and stealing a jewel from another planet. Right. He's not really a likable guy, and yet here Picard's like, oh, I feel like I owe it to him that I have to go check him out, right? Even though I I feel like I'm going to get there and he's going to be in the arms of a beautiful woman, yeah. <laughs> and it's like he took a long time to explain all this, so maybe maybe Friedman thought that oh, I got to kind of explain this because they, I mean, is it kind of expensive to run a starship? I mean, it's like you know, hey, we're not doing anything else. Let's yeah, let's go see if we can find the old knucklehead. <laughs> just, I don't know. That's fine. In a lot of ways, he kind of it kind of struck me a little bit at first, like a skinny young Harry Mudd or something. Uh, somebody, somebody very contrasty to the the spit and polish and uh, perfect people that we tend to see in Starfleet. Yeah, I always thought he was kind of like the Star Trek version of Han Solo, <laughs> just yeah. without the uh, the sidekick. Yeah, yeah, I guess. Yeah, yeah, I guess. That's and, what he needs. Uh, he needs a sidekick. <laughs> but we didn't mention it, but the, the guy who plays Akuna in that episode is... Uh, None other than the... Bill Campbell, who is the Rocketeer. The Rocketeer, yes. So he has yet another comic book connection. Ah, uh, yes. So did they have a whole series of comics about the Rocketeer? Uh, Yeah, the uh, Rocketeer was based on a comic. Oh, 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 oh. an old comic. It went that old. No, no, it was it was a it was an independently published comic. That's why it wasn't quite it wasn't you know as as popular as a Batman or a Superman. But oh, okay, it was like oh. a little mini series, maybe maybe two mini series, uh, just random. And then right. they made the movie, and Disney bought it, and I think they've made some more since then. But but yeah, that was based on a comic book. Cool. It's kind of a cool comic. Look it up. Cool. I'll do that. At the end, when they. They find themselves transported down and then magically change, so their clothes change and their phasers are gone and the and all their equipment are gone. They're always crazy about that kind of stuff. It just seems a little I don't know. Silly. A little hard to swallow. <laughs> Silly. There you go. That's that's probably a good word. Yes. I mean they end up explaining it at the end naturally, as you always you're gonna get an explanation. But it's just like eh. eh. Yeah, yeah, if you're waiting for a good explanation, uh, <laughs> don't keep don't keep hoping. Go, go you you go will no, get a, just, just 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 stop listening now. You'll get an explanation, but don't expect a good explanation. <laughs> exactly. exactly. <laughs> yeah, I hate and I hate these these costumes too. Well, they look I'll really you, cheesy. Well, okay, here's the deal: the covers, because a couple of the covers uh, the, up, coming up. Right. You're gonna see, they're gonna they're gonna have costumes on them, right? And I think those costumes on the covers are cool looking, but the costumes they have in the comic book, no. And well, I I had more comments in the next comic, but I will say that Data looks like a dork. Well, he has like a, a dunce hat on. 
yeah, it's like a big bullet thing. He looks a little like a like a cone head or something. Right, with with little feathers on top, like a little top knot of feathers on top of this cone head helmet. Right. Yeah, he looks ridiculous. Yeah. Um, it kind of in the synopsis I said it looks Egyptian just because that's what it reminded me of, but right. not really. It, yeah, and they tried to give the the look of things kind of an Egyptian feel to it. Right. But the covers, when we see the covers and their costumes there, those covers look like, you know, medieval times type. Uh, maybe, yeah, medieval times, maybe a little bit into the Renaissance. Right. Uh, I, I, I like Worf's. I liked all of them. Yeah. I like, you know, the, the data, the one they put in data. I mean, it, they're cool costumes. Yeah. Not at all like these white robes and what's this, like a yellow and blue skirt on, on Worf and he's bare-chested? I mean, it's... <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, uh, my, my comment for the next issue is that uh, Worf looks like some kind of Egyptian. Yeah, he, he looks mighty meaty and almost shirtless in his tight little Egyptian spandex biker shorts. And as we'll see in the next issue, there's a little bit of a, you know, Male versus male, uh, you know, alpha male tension between uh, Captain Okona and Worf. And it looks like Worf could just snap him in two. I mean, he's really uh, buffed out in the next issue. Anyway, uh, that's all I have to say about this issue. Okay, the only other thing I had to say, two things. One, we've seen Klingons without shirts in the show, right? And didn't they have, like, weren't they wearing some sort of chest piece so that they kind of had, like, different musculature once their clothes once their shirt was off they didn't just look like a a bodybuilding human i'm not sure sh- I, I i'm not sure about the chest but i know the back is different <clears throat> along the uh, spinal column okay maybe that's what i'm thinking of remember that episode when the when Worf like broke his back or had his spine crushed or something that's what i was thinking yeah i, I was thinking that i remember him having some sort of prosthetic on his on his torso i was thinking that it was his chest Maybe, but but, but you're, I definitely you're know he has right. stuff on his back. But definitely in this one, he's just normal, normal human back. Yeah. All right, and then the other, the last comment I have is there on page twenty-one. If you yes. want to flip over there real quick, I'm assuming she's Allenby. Uh, she's blonde-haired, sitting in the navigation cost, console. She has this weird look on her face when she's talking there in the middle of the page, mm-hmm. and it kind of reminded me of the. Uh, blow-up dolls you see in (laughs) (laughs) is that bad wow i um i didn't get that from it but now that you mention it with the the surprised shape of her mouth yes indeed and just the artificial look of her eyes and face it just it she doesn't look like a human (laughs) she looks like a blow-up doll anyway good point (laughs) good point that was all I got to say. <laughs> <laughs> my, my last comment was the blow-up doll comment. Okay. Cool. Good point. Very good point. Shall we move on to number 26 to find out what happened? Let's do it. All right. So issue number 26 is entitled Stranger in Strange Lands. The cover shows Worf, Deanna, Data, and Dr. Crusher in really cool alien outfits that look vaguely middle ageish each are in an elkar style white rectangle with the four words of the title distributed beneath beneath each of them strangers in strange lands 
the Enterprise D is at the top of the page, and a compact alien city built up around a tall central castle-like building is at the bottom. Our story opens in the same vaguely Egyptian pyramid chamber the last issue ended with. Okona is telling Worf, Troy, Dr. Crusher, and Data the story of what he has been doing and how he came to be in the city they find themselves in. In a nutshell, he has been on many adventures, doing endeavors of questionable legality, making scads of money when he found himself whisked off the bridge of the erstwhile. Okona moves to an exit and brings them out onto a balcony with a breathtaking view of the strange alien walled city. Okona says it is beautiful but also dangerous. The city is populated with dangerous beings dressed as they are. Okona walked the streets looking for answers and met life forms the away team would not want to meet. He claims he came within a hair's breadth of being a trophy on their wall. Worf is skeptical. Back on the Enterprise Bridge, O'Brien confirms that he lost the signal from the entire landing party all at once. Riker wants to go after them, but Picard says not until they can find out more about what happened to the first team. They will look before they leap. Meanwhile, on the Earth... Jeremy, Alexander, and Worf's parents are having a picnic by a running river. Mr. Rosenko asks why Jeremy has been so quiet. He says he's been working on a homework assignment. A story he likes very much about two friends who could not be more different. One gets in trouble, and the other, the more responsible one, is always getting him out of it. One friend accidentally kills someone and is sentenced to death by a, a nobleman. To allow the murderous friend to see his family one last time, the responsible friend takes his place in jail until he returns. Time passes, but the responsible friend states his faith that his friend would return before execution time. Just when Jeremy is about to say, if he makes it back in time, a downpour of rain starts. They all run for cover. In the city, Okona leads the away team to street level, where he suggests they contact the Enterprise so they can beam to safety. Data states that their equipment is gone, so they have no way to reach the ship. Okona leads them to a building where they find a room full of old equipment that Okona refers to as junk. He was able to fashion a rudimentary communications device, but until now he had no power source. That is, until Data arrived. With Data's power, Okona transmits and is able to contact the Enterprise. O'Brien takes their coordinates and prepares to beam them up. As they prepare to beam up, Okona continues to hit on Dr. Crusher, who does not mind it one bit. Back on Earth, the picnicking quartet dry off in a large shelter building. The three are hanging on Jeremy's every word as he prepares to tell the story's ending. Jeremy asks Alexander how he thinks it will end. Alexander says he will make it back in the nick of time because he is a human and all humans keep their word. Jeremy says Alexander is both right and wrong. 
Jeremy says the friend did return in time, and the nobleman, who was so impressed with their friendship and honesty that he released them both. Alexander says he was right. Jeremy says he was right about the friend returning in time, but the two friends were not humans. They were Klingons. Which is not surprising, since Klingons always keep their word. Alexander runs out of the shelter into the rain, screaming. They could not be Klingons, since Klingons lie. They lie, just like my mother lied. Jeremy runs after him and catches up. Alexander said his mother lied when she said she would always be there for him and take care of him. Jeremy says Alexander's mother did not lie to him. It was just that it was not her fault that she was killed. She intended to take care of Alexander. Jeremy lost his family too, but Worf bonded with him and made him a blood brother. Jeremy says he knows that Worf will always be there for him, if not physically, then in other ways. He bets Worf is thinking about both of them right now. Jeremy says they have each other also. They are family, and they can look out for each other just like the two friends in the story. On the Enterprise, O'Brien's attempts to beam the away team back are foiled by a localized interference field over the city. He says if they can travel a kilometer from their present location, they should be out from under the field, and he can beam them up. Okona is visibly frustrated by the field, since his past attempts to walk blocks from his current location almost cost his life. Walking a kilometer away will surely meet with their death. Worf questions whether Okona is frightened of what could happen. He angrily denies fear and instead says he fears for the ladies. Okona finally says... If they are game, then he will go too. But with a devilish look on his face, he says, Don't say I didn't warn you. Worf's father enters Jeremy's room, and they discuss how the story Jeremy told was similar to the story of Damon and Pythias, but a little different. Jeremy admits to the existence of that story, but the one he told is really a tale that Worf told him. The Worf's version had the irresponsible friend returning with an army who saved the responsible friend and took over the city and beheaded the nobleman, in true Klingon style. Jeremy thought a change to the ending was in order. Mr. Rizenko agreed and was impressed with Jeremy's words of wisdom. Jeremy asks if Alexander can come out and visit him sometime. Worf's father says he will speak to his wife, but he does not see why not. At that moment, Alexander enters the room, teddy bear in hand. He is asking if Jeremy can tell another story about Klingons for his bedtime story. The teddy bear smiles. Back in the city of danger, the party are still in cloaks and robes trying to be inconspicuous as they walk down the center of the street. As Worf is questioning the danger, given their fairly good progress so far, Okona spots an archer in a tower who shoots what looks like an arrow on fire that turns out to be a bolt of deadly directed energy that almost hits Crusher. Okona tackles her away from the bolt. They run for cover and are pinned down without phasers to return fire. To be continued.
So you think those were like laser beams? They looked like it. See, I was never sure if they were if that was just, you know, visualizing how the arrow, the flaming arrow came in and yeah. exploded on the ground. Um I agree that there's some amount of doubt. So to some degree it's my own interpretation. Sure. But um I it it looks like it was more than a flaming arrow. And if it was a flaming arrow, it shouldn't explode like that. But uh Yeah, it should just stick in the ground and flame. Right. But, yeah. But uh that's interesting. I didn't think that it was like a, a phaser or something. But it could be. Um it, it turned into something other than a flaming arrow. I think. But you know. It it kinda looked like a bolt of lightning a little bit because it wasn't like one at least I don't recall it being like one straight as a line stream. Um, well, it looks like fire all the way down, like it was shooting like maybe a like a flamethrower jet or something, but really tight. Yeah. Who knows? Exactly. It was threatening. They were in trouble. Yes, and conveniently there was a wall there for them to hide behind. Exactly. The good thing is, I mean, it's a city, so there's going to be walls around. Right. So this was the uh, Alexander Jeremy story that you did like? The fact yeah, that he was, was telling the story? Into the, I was kind of getting into the story. I didn't remember that it was Damien and Pythias. Uh, I remember those names, and I kind of remember the story. Um, but I didn't remember the details. I mean, I didn't remember how it ended. So I was kind of, uh, you know, along with the uh, Krishenkovs or whatever, I was uh, kind of looking forward to the end. What's going to happen? Now, I got a stupid question. Is it part of Greek mythology, or was it just a Greek story? I don't know for sure, but I, I think it's a Greek story. Okay, so it has nothing to do with well the, the other mythological gods and things like that? Well, it didn't say anything. Well, this story didn't say anything. Right, right. Well, I, I'm talking about the all, real but, story, because yeah. all I know about this story is what, what Jeremy just told me. <laughs> Yeah. Uh, perhaps in the original story, instead of a nobleman, maybe it was a god. Who knows? Oh, okay. But uh, you know, it's an old story. It sounds like it's Greek, um, but I don't remember. I, I, I don't remember it in my mythology class in college. But Which, by the way, is a class I really enjoyed. Yeah, I enjoy the... Uh, mythology class. I enjoy all the, the various mythologies around the world. Right. So, um, uh, may I make a comment uh, on Jeremy? Sure. He's too perfect. I mean, he's written as too perfect. Was he supposed to be like 12 or 13? Yeah, something like that. No. Maybe even younger. Hey, well, on the cover, he looks younger. But in the book, he looks, you know, maybe maybe a, pre maybe a, a tween, do they call it? A, a preteen? Right. Close, though. Um, anyway, he's just... I mean, he's just everything he says is just perfect, perfect dialogue. And uh, and sure, I know it's a comic book, and you know whatever everything's written for people, but uh, it just almost it just seems a little harder to believe, you know. <laughs> yeah, and I mean, he's, he just met Alexander, and yet he's you know he's really taken to heart this that he's got to somehow fix him. No, uh, which yes, I help him with weird. his problem. Yeah, yeah. I'm like ah. I know a lot of teenagers, and and they're not that thoughtful. <laughs> no, matter of fact, you think you'd think the older kid with the younger kid would either 
like not have a lot of interest in Alexander or like, you know, kind of mess with him a little bit. <laughs> right. I'll show you I'll show you how cool humans are. <laughs> well, I'll tell you what I think's funny and this was an, another thing about, you know, bringing back old uh, old storylines is that, you know, there was that one little page in issue number um uh, what was it, 19? The one where it was Crusher's birthday, and there was that random page where Worf was talking on a communicator with with right. Jeremy, right. right? And Jeremy was all worried about, you know, I w- I don't want to go to Starfleet for that tour because this girl I like may start liking somebody else. Mm-hmm. And Worf says you should stay and fight. They never bring that up at all. No, it's like. Uh, so I'm assuming that you know, issue number 19, he uh, Michael Jan Friedman was just planting the seed that Worf and Jeremy still have a, a relationship Yep. Uh, that, that got fulfilled here. But I thought it was weird that they didn't at least bring that up. Yeah. Did he get the girl? Did he not get the girl? I, I think you want to know. I do. <laughs> <laughs> Anyways. Like I said, you know, chicks are a dime a dozen. I would have went to Starfleet. That probably would have been the right answer. <laughs> But Worf saw a fight going, yeah, you fight, punny human. Well, I guess that's a Hulk thing. Anyway. <laughs> so I just I just looked it up on uh, Memory Alpha, and uh, Jeremy was supposed to be 12 when uh, in the episode uh, The Bonding. Ah. And so this is a couple years later, so he's probably 14 maybe. There you go. Awkward age. Right. But okay, he's, so a very, he's a very considerate 14. Uh, well, yes, considerate, well-spoken, uh, well-read, and pretty sharp about uh, modifying a Klingon tail for the, uh, <laughs> for the needed hand. I, I kind of like the Klingon version. <laughs> well, where he brings back the army and kills yeah. everybody? Yeah, that's great. That's good. <laughs> yeah, that's good. I like that. Yeah, that's funny. How appropriate. I'll tell you what I like, and this is just uh, – I, I like having some Russian characters in the sh- in the books, mm-hmm. and not every other thing that comes out of their mouth is, that is a Russian invention, <laughs> as we have Chekhov in every other issue. He has to mention something was a Russian invention. Exactly. So. And I loved it – you know, this was more last issue, but I just loved it when he comes off the airplane and the first thing uh, – Helena says, is, oh, you must be hungry. Because <laughs> that's such a, a grandma thing to do. Uh, it is, but it's all it's a little cliche. Uh, yeah, yeah, it's good. Anyways. Especially robust Russian grandmas. I'm not that familiar with Russian grandmas, so I, no. I just assume, you know, I'm just going off my own experiences with grandmothers. <laughs> My name's Hubalik, so I'm close. Not quite, you know, Czech, not Russian. Big Russian grandmothers love to see. Eat. I uh, think most most grandmothers like to see. Eat. Yeah, I think it's I think it's a just a grandma thing. What'd you think of the robots or whatever it was on page ten? Oh, <laughs> you mean the junk inside of the uh, inside of Okola's yeah, room? But one of it looked like a giant Robbie the robot type fifties era robot. Well, they look like '50s era robots. I don't know if I quite say Robbie, Robbie, but uh, yes, they, they look—they the look very the... retro. Maybe not Robbie the robot, 
which one was in uh, uh, Forbidden, Forbidden Planet? Planet? That's Robbie. Yeah, he was the one that had the arms and legs like this guy. Yeah, he, but but, but his, his chest isn't. No, 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 no. I was more talking about his arms. The and arms. arms, yeah, uh, agreed. But the the what was the chest more boxy? Right. Yeah. But I, I just, where did he get this from? I mean, it's it's kind of ridiculous. Well, well, we'll find out later what the whole deal is. But as for now, it's like, um, yeah, they're leftover parts by the builders of this of this land. Leftover right. parts. And why did Data not take off the stupid helmet? <laughs> the bullet head? Right. <laughs> I don't know. But it really looks dumb. <laughs> Maybe that was Michael Jan Friedman's nod to the Rocketeer. Uh, no, the Rocketeer had a cool helmet. He did. Very cool. And mask the, kind of face stabilize, thing. Stabilizing fin on the top of his head. Exactly. It you awesome. need that because if you don't have that, <laughs> look out when you go rocketing. <laughs> Iron Man doesn't have one, and he seems to do okay. Oh, he's Iron Man. <laughs> he's Iron Man. All right, so I don't really have a lot of comments on this issue. I just have one more, really, and it's okay. that Akona lost his ponytail from... He he has a ponytail in the, epi the episode he's in, yep. and he has a ponytail on the covers, yet in the books he is does not. He's very clean cut. Right. He's extremely clean cut. Um, I think in the episode, the picture I saw of him on Memory Alpha, uh, he had like like a three-day growth of beard going because yep. he's a bad boy. He's a bad boy. But in these comics, he is clean-shaven, relatively short hair, you know. Right. So and they, they, they chose to just do it that way. He, he's, got, he's got like big bang kind of things that come down, a little bad boyish, you know. You know, a little, little Leonardo DiCaprio, Titanic kind of thing. But uh, other than that, yeah, he looks pretty uh, – he looks ready for Starfleet. <laughs> Maybe. Maybe. And, and his hair is brown, and I remember his hair being black in the movie. Ah. In the show. In the show. That was well, my last comment. What else you got? Um, I, I, I got the impression, especially in this issue, that Okona was acting odd. I mean, I didn't see the – well, I don't remember seeing the episode, so I'm not 100% – what I know of what he acted like on the episode is pretty much based on just description of what he did and then and then the one or one photo or two. But he just seemed to be acting a little strange in here. So at the beginning, I mean, definitely he was hitting on on Crusher, you know. Okay, fine, that's cool. You know, that that's 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 a Kona. Um and being successful at it. So I guess that's a Kona too. But um I don't know, just some some bits about his personality would just seem a little odd. Like, like there right. might have been something else going on here, uh, where he might not have been telling them everything, uh, ulterior motive going. And hmm. That I got that vibe, but I don't want to ruin the story. Right, right. By saying one way or the other, that's just the vibe I got. Gotcha. Now I can't remember what page it's on, and and I don't think it's the next issue. But doesn't he make a comment about something Data says is funny? Was that this this episode or this issue or next issue? I don't remember. Um, something Data said that was funny, like a joke or odd, like a joke. And and I think that was a nod to that episode because the other storyline that was going on in the outrageous Sakona episode yeah. was that it was the one where 
Joe Pesci was trying to teach Data how to be a comedian. Oh, right, right, right. So I I assume that was what they were getting at there. I can't find it now, so maybe it's the next issue. Okay. But uh, anyways. In that case, I think we need to uh, go to the next issue and maybe see about that reference to uh, Data's humor. Okay. All right. So uh, this is called City Life. It came out January 1992, issue number 27. It has a cover that has the big title, The Final Battle. And on the cover, we see a hooded man atop a strange four-legged beast holding a spear while his cloak is billowing behind him. Beneath this purple monster, there is shots of Worf, Troy, Crusher, Data, and Akuna in some medieval-looking type garb. You know, as if they were running off to a renaissance fair. So the story starts off with our trapped crew hiding behind a brick wall as the archer on the castle is pelting them with the powerful flaming arrows. Akuna suggests that they split up uh, with him and Worf sneaking around the castle and surprising the archer. Data objects, but eventually they decide to go ahead and do that. Uh, to go through with Akuna's plan. So as they're separating, Akuna does make some flirting uh, comments towards Crusher, and they head off. On the Enterprise, O'Brien and Geordi are working on the transporters, trying to come up with a way to lock on and onto the away team and beam them back to the ship. We flash back to the planet, where Worf and Akuna are able to scale the wall and sneak up on the Archer, even though... Okuna keeps talking, and he's not whispering because it's not the whisper balloon. It's full-blown talking, and Worf keeps telling him to shut up, and he does not. Uh, so somehow they get up the wall. Nobody uh, notices. Uh, meanwhile, still hiding behind the wall, Troy comments that she's unable to sense any other life forms, and she suspects that the archer might be an artificial intelligence. Suddenly, the arrow barrage stops, and they look up to see Akuna and Worf looking down at them. Worf breaks the bow over his knee, just as Akuna is bragging about how the archer had a glass jaw. Uh, just then, the uh, man stands up, easily picks up Akuna, and tosses him over the wall, and he falls down to the ground. Uh, Data is quick enough to catch Akuna and has to soon do the same for Worf as he too is tossed off the uh, roof like a sack of potatoes. Back on the ship, Riker and Picard discuss how this planet or this predicament could be some sort of automated defense uh, similar to what they experienced on Minos in the first season episode, The Arsenal of Freedom. In that episode, an automated defense system outlived their creators and perhaps the same thing is happening here we flash back to the planet and the crew is in the town and uh, they're, they cut a corner and as soon as they do so a large four trunked elephant type creature bursts in and snatches Troy up in one of its massive trunks a rider atop the elephant throws a spear Data jumps in front of it and takes the spear in the guts he pulls it out quickly and states that there's no damage. As they're planning a course of action to free Troy, another elephant-like creature rams into the first one. Troy and the rider are knocked to the ground. 
Akuna takes out the rider with a spear across the face, and Troy is unharmed. They escape the two fighting elephants. Back on the Enterprise bridge, crewman Allenby exclaims that she's cracked the automated code from back from issue 25, back when she was a blow-up doll. She says that it explains how Akuna ended up on the planet. We flash back to the planet. A lot of jumping back and forth here. Sorry about the the transitions here. But uh, we're back on the planet now. Uh, the crew are moving through the city when a very large woman suddenly appears and she lifts Akuna up into her arms. And instead of attacking, uh, it seems that she would rather make out with the lovable rogue. Uh, she eventually drops him, or she places him back on the ground. And without speaking, she starts to lead them out of the city. Back on the ship, Alan B. explains the transmission. The planet is a huge monument to a great ruler. And in their culture, when a king dies, he's buried on a planet. And all of his friends, family, and foes join him there. But instead of killing these people and burying them, uh, such as they do in ancient Earth Egyptian pharaohs, these people create holographic duplicates of the, the family, friends, foes. Uh, the holographic programs are designed to show the trials and tribulations of the kings uh, to any spacefaring explorers that might find the planet. Riker and Picard suspect that the crew will be fine once the program of the king's life has completed its course. On the planet, the, crew, the, the crew's way is blocked by a large group of people standing around with guns and spears. Uh, the silent Amazonian woman points to a sewer crate and leads them underground. As soon as the crew start climbing into the hole, we turn the page, and Riker and Picard are having a conversation with Troy. She explains that they escaped the city, and once they did so, their clothes returned to normal, and their gear magically reappeared. Akuna is having some parting words with the silent woman. He kisses her hand and states that he knows that she's a queen. Data is speaking to Troy, and he also states that she's a queen and that she's a simulated representation of the mate of the king, who was being honored here with this planet. Akuna has a few more smoothy things to say to the queen, and then they prepare to beam back to the ship. The end. And if that synopsis was a little abrupt at the end, that's because that's exactly the way the book is. <laughs> abrupt. You don't think so? Yeah. I kept thinking that I somehow lost a couple of pages because they go into the sewer and then the next page, yep, they're having a conversation with Troy. Exactly. They go in the sewer and they're outside the city. And mid-conversation, like like there's pages missing. Yeah. It It, it really threw me. Well... Maybe they uh, maybe they actually did edit out some stuff. Who knows? I I don't know. Yeah, I mean, you think they start out, you know, with the rough pages and stuff, and and work out exactly how many pages it's going to be, and and cut more reasonably. But uh, it did seem like that was something. Yeah, they, they had to make make room for another couple ads or something. I don't know. <laughs> well, it's still the same number of pages twenty twenty four yeah. pages. Yeah. Yeah. It's I'm just, just saying. A, it's just saying. It's a, it was an abrupt ending. Yes. So, anyways, what'd you think? This this was obviously a three parter. As a, as an overall three parter, what'd you think? I think it was fine. I think it was okay. But I don't think it was great. So right. you know, you 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 dug the uh, Alexander Jeremy story. 
line, I think a little more than I did. We may be in about the same place as far as the mausoleum planet. Right. But yeah, I thought it was, I thought it was good, but not great. Yeah. Well, it's not horrible. No, no, it's not horrible. But I, I really don't like the idea that there's all these holographic projectors on this planet, yet nobody can pick those signals up. I mean, because anytime there's a hologram on the Enterprise, they, they, they're able to pick up the whatever is emitting it. Right. And yet this whole planet is filled with these because there's holograms everywhere, yet yep. all they can pick up is Akuna's life signs. Yeah. And I'd also like to know, well, maybe they didn't know to, to scan for it. I don't know. Scan for holograms. but <laughs> Scan for anything. Sc- scan for energy signals. Yeah. I don't know. You think that you would have found it. Yeah. So if these are holograms, then it appears as if the safety protocols are off. I mean, not that they have the same safety protocols as the Enterprise holodeck, but I'm wondering how much the safety protocols are off. I mean... Really, if it came right down to it and they could have actually been killed or something, would this Disneyland of death actually, like, like, like somehow not kill people? Like, like, like what if uh, uh, Captain Okuna or whatever, uh, you know, didn't, didn't knock um, Dr. Crusher out of the way? I mean, would, would that flaming arrow, that, that bolt of lightning, whatever, would it have, would it have fried her? See, I wasn't sure, and I was kind of I, – I actually went back and reread some of it just to make sure because I kept thinking everything kind of was centered on Akuna, and it seemed like everybody else was just background characters as far as how the holograms were interacting with them. Mm-hmm. And then the the only time I could find reference where the hologram seemed to be targeting somebody other than Akuna was the elephant picking up Troy. Mm-hmm. Well, I mean, aside from that, it seemed like it was always whenever, you know, something was happening to Akuna, the hologram would would do something. I guess the art, the archer too, throwing Worf off the uh, the the roof. Uh, right, and the archer. I mean, I think the first bolt was meant for Crusher, not for uh, Akuna. Yeah, but, but was it, or was it supposed to be just like close to Akuna and and? Because it wasn't expecting Troy to be there or doesn't recognize that Troy's there. It just was where she was. Or at least that's what I, I was thinking. Uh, it, it, they gave you the impression that he knocked Crusher out of the way because he was being hero guy. And right. she was going to get fried. They gave right. you, they, at least that's what I got out of, out of it. But maybe, maybe not. Yeah, I, I don't know. Yeah. I, I don't know. It, like I said, I, I wasn't a big fan of the we're in a holodeck. The whole planet is a hollow day. Yeah. Um, and, and everybody looks human except for the giant queen who looks, you know, she's... Yeah, isn't that interesting? Nine feet tall, yet everybody else seemed to be exactly. perfectly... Exactly. I got the same comment. She looks alien. She's huge. Uh, and everybody else was, you know, roughly like human size. Roughly. I mean, some of those guys, like the uh, the archer looks like he was a pretty beefy guy, but he didn't look like he was that particularly tall. Certainly right. not. Uh, certainly not to compare it to Amazon woman. Right. But uh, you know, maybe they have different. Uh, you know, it's a multi-planetary society or something. Maybe there's human-like people who are all enemies, and then uh, Amazon uh, tall green know, avatar green. kind of whatever chick. Yeah. 
Now, I'm not complaining about her. She, no. Like the costume. I like the costume. Not very practical. Cause, uh, not, she, if it, not if it turned cold. Because <laughs> though they show her, her, her butt a few times and it's like a thong type outfit she's well, wearing. It's like, it's like ha- half of her buttocks, the outside part, is lovingly displayed. And the inside half is covered up by like a triangular thing. Right. You so know that not, has to be it, uncomfortable. Yeah, it could be worse. It actually could be butt floss, but it's not. <laughs> but uh, yeah, it's, uh, you know. Oh, the captain. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I liked it when she uh, was standing next to Akuna and he's about, you know, comes up to her chest area. <laughs> and she still has, you know... Head and shoulders, literally over, towering over him. He, she's a big gal. She's a big gal. She's tall and she's strong, and you want her in your corner. And why can't she talk? I don't know. Good question. I mean, even if she tried, would you understand her? Who knows? Universal, the universal translator? translator. Who knows? Well, hold on. Well, okay. Who's got the universal translator? Disneyland. You know, oh, they might. Good point. Because they, they don't have any. They didn't have any equipment. Right. Until you turn the page and they just suddenly have it without. Any and their uniforms, yes. <laughs> yeah, I was wondering, did their uniforms just magically reappear, or did they leave the city and and you know they're nicely folded? Exactly. Is their communicators and their right their clothes? And, and that is an interesting point. So O'Brien must have been tracking them or something, because how would he know exactly when they popped out un- from under the shield? I guess he was using the sensors. Hmm. Well, I think that they when they when they left the city, their communicators showed back up and they contacted O'Brien. I know that, but I'm saying that how did they know that was going to happen? Oh, oh, because it was convenient to the plot. I know that, but what was, I mean, before they struck (laughs) out on this mile-long walk through death, uh, through certain death, I mean, what was the game plan for how O'Brien was going to know, you know, to beam him up? I mean, I I guess, I mean, I gave, okay, he gave him coordinates, and Data fed that into his, uh, his localized map matrix or something. So he must have been scanning for him. As soon as he scans, as soon as he sees him getting out from under the uh, the interference shield, right? Uh, I guess that that was the plan, which wasn't necessary because their magic uh, landing party equipment came back. Right. Good for them. Howdy. I thought it was funny that once they left the city, uh, the queen was still there. So I kind of got the feeling that once they left the city, the hollow projectors or whatever. Would shut down. Would shut down, and yet she was able to leave the city with them. Right, right. right. It does not make sense. Eh, eh, eh. Maybe she's like the doctor. She was able to leave the holodeck. <laughs> Maybe. 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 Did you notice a little pin on her chest? I did not. The uh, the portable hollow emitter. No, nah, didn't notice, I, did you? I need to stare at her chest some more then. <laughs> or was it on her butt? Yeah. Oh well. I think we stared at that enough. So, could I just mention um, one or two little coloring problems? Sure. So, on the first page of where the where the story opens in this issue, Data looks a little like a mime. <laughs> yep. So, it's like he's got a normal human, uh, well, a, a Caucasian coloring uh, around his neck and around, like, behind his ears. But around the, his ears and the, the line of his chin, it's all white. So he looks like Marcel Marceau. 
uh, profile. All right, gotcha. And I didn't know why, damn it. And then on the next page, Akona or Akana looks kind of yellow. He is definitely yes. not. Uh, yes. he, he is definitely not Cauca- Caucasian flesh color anymore. Yeah, definitely not. Very. I thought that was rather odd. Uh, now, now that one I noticed right off the bat. The data one, I, it took me a few exposures before I spotted that one. Right. Did you happen to spot any mistakes? Coloring-wise, oh. not that I can remember. Oh. Well, I just spotted another another one where data's Marcel Marceau again. Only this is worse because now the white is across his nose and his eyes and forehead, and the rest is his chin and cheek is all uh, flesh-colored. Yeah, like when he gets stabbed by the spear. Uh, oh, there too? Man, yeah. they were off. Th- this, is, this is not where he got stabbed by the spear. Oh, uh, okay. It was on page, top of page five. Okay. Yeah, just thought I mentioned it. Yeah, I, I stopped counting the time. I mean, if you look at the bottom of page 11, oh, he's yeah. completely flesh-colored again. So I, I just... Yeah, that, that's a good idea just to stop. Because if you look on page eight, two different panels show him half flesh-colored, half, half white. Right. I mean, stark white. Yep. Data white. Um... I was kind of surprised towards the end when Troy told Worf that Okona's in charge. Oh, uh, where was that? I missed that. Well, towards the end, just to shut Worf up, Troy actually says, yeah, basically said, you know, Okona's in charge, so shut up, basically. <laughs> huh. And it's like, really? Troy? It's like, you haven't said much in this issue. And it's like, I don't remember them coming in some kind of formal uh, agreement that Akona was in charge of things. Anyway. Yeah. No, well, I mean, Troy's new at the whole command thing, so as soon as she, as soon as there was a captain there, she gave him command. <laughs> <laughs> that Not must that. be it. That's it. Yeah, I think that was when they were going into the, uh, into the sewer or something. Oh, maybe. I missed it. But what I didn't miss, which I thought was odd, is on page five... Um, when she, Troy, says that uh, the artificial intelligence, that there's an artificial intelligence there, there's a panel where she turns the data and says, but I'm sure that artificial intelligence is not as advanced as you are. Was she trying to soothe his feelings, or what, what was a, going on there? kiss butt. It seemed weird, right? Yeah, yeah. They doesn't need that. He doesn't have feelings. There's no emotion chip. <laughs> it, it was weird. I, at least I thought it was weird. Here's another thing that's weird. Dr. Doom made a guest appearance on this issue. There on page 20? Yeah, on page 20. I knew you'd, I knew you'd mention it. Well, he's not Dr. Doom. He doesn't have the metal face. He, he doesn't? Hmm. No. Let me look at that again. He has a... Uh, now, I, I, uh, mind you... Orange-skinned I mean, face. I, I'm not saying <laughs> that he's Dr. Doom. But I think who drew him, I think he took some... Uh, some inspiration from the good doctor. Yeah, all the people in this, or all the aliens they show, are very superhero-like. I mean, right. they're all wearing the underwear on the outside kind of look. <laughs> uh, which, good point. Which I don't remember seeing that a lot in Star Trek itself. No, no, not at all, because they wanted to be taken seriously. But this is a comic book. <laughs> but if that guy walked, or if that guy came on set on Star Trek, he would be laughed out of the off the set because he has like this big metal cod piece he's nah. 
<laughs> green uh green cloak it's it's a weird weird outfit it's a weird outfit but he's got like the metallic arms yeah and he's got he's got the green hood very doctor doom like uh and, and and it looks like he has a metallic depends on <laughs> on the outside of his robe or something yeah and did you notice the uh con reference there on him he only has one metal glove. Oh, oh, wow. And he's definitely got his arms folded like Khan. Right. I just thought it was funny he's wearing one glove like, like Khan did. Uh-huh. Or Michael Jackson. Maybe it's Michael Jackson. Maybe it's one. a Michael Jackson reference. I think possibly. <laughs> so uh, the last thing I have is that uh, the uh, uh, Allenby here in this issue, she has brown hair now. Yes. For- Yes. She had blonde hair. She has blonde hair in the TV show. She had blonde hair in issue number 25. Yeah. But here she's brown-haired. Right. And in the show, she always wears red. But here and in issue number 25, she wears gold. Yeah. So, it's a nitpick. <laughs> but a good one. And her face looks quite different also. Yeah. it doesn't. She doesn't look like Alan B. here. No. Because Allenby has like short blonde hair. I mean, she was only in a couple episodes uh, of the original series, because or the Next Generation, because I think it was, you know, one of she was like one of the random people that wasn't Wesley and wasn't uh, Ensign Rowe that mm-hmm. filled that spot. Right. But she definitely was in a few episodes. So, anyways. Yep. Um. So Peter Krause did both. Did he? Uh. Yeah. Peter Krause. Yeah. He did all three. He did all three. Interesting, because he would have been in charge. <laughs> oh well, well whatever. Yeah, it's a it's a nitpick. Like I said, it didn't detract me from the the story. Well, no, but oh, I think it's a little yeah, it's kind of a nitpick. I mean, when you have a totally different person. Well, yeah, a different look. Exactly, exactly. Yeah. Oh well. I agree. Um, I thought when the three trunked and very angry elephant. Four uh, trunked, not three. Oh, I thought I thought I saw saw three. I thought um, four. I thought it had like a predator mouth, except with trunks instead of. Well, it was kind of interesting, isn't it? Um, three or four trunks, and um, it was very angry, and it had clawed feet, and uh, and that little <laughs> horn in the tiny horn in the forehead kind of stuff. Right. I thought that was a bit over the top. It was. And I always kind of wonder when they make the decisions what kind of creature to have. It, you know, it's got to be a threatening creature. And, of course, on the cover, it's a different creature than the elephant thing that's in the book. Um, I like the one on the cover better. So do I. I kind of, it kind of makes me wonder – well, that actually illustrates the point I, I, I had written down is how do they – I mean how do they figure, okay, should I go with a truly alien monstrosity that looks like nothing people have seen before? Or should I go ahead and take – a uh, an earth critter that you'd be familiar with and then tweak it into something that more more threatening so i wonder how they decide which way to go and uh sure enough the <laughs> cover artist went one way and the art and peter kraus in the book went another right yeah i don't know i mean obviously i don't think the uh the cover artist doesn't know what the final art's going to be sure Otherwise, we would have these weird costumes on the cover and then completely <laughs> different costumes. Oh, yeah. Sh- you know, granted. I mean, so obviously these cover guys, I mean, do, do they even show them the comics? 
<laughs> which is done first? I don't know. I, I don't know. It, it could be that they're you know done at the same time by completely different people. Right. You know, he he's commissioned to do one painting, and he probably gets an outline of what the the uh, story is going to be, and right. comes up with something. Exactly, but doesn't actually get uh, get the uh, get the artwork. Right. It, it kind of reminds me. There's this. Uh, you're familiar with the Aliens franchise, I'm sure, right? I've seen a book or two, and uh, they've done several comic book series with Aliens, and mm-hmm. therefore, a while they were doing a lot of crossovers. So there was a, you know, an Aliens versus Superman, Aliens versus Batman, but there was a uh, a Wildstorm comic book series called Gen 13. You mm-hmm. might not be familiar with it, but there was a Aliens Gen 13 crossover. And uh, they got somebody to do the cover, and and he was an older uh, an older artist, and they gave him an idea of what these Gen Thirteen characters look like, and they said, and we want them fighting an alien, and he's like, do you do you need us to send you pictures of what an alien looks like? He's like, ah, I've been doing comic books for forty years, I know what an alien looks like. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> and then they, they get the uh they get the artwork and it's this weird looking <laughs> Martian? It it looks like a Martian kind of thing, but it had like tentacles and stuff. I mean look nothing like the uh the H. R. Geiger alien. Yeah, exactly. So they had uh they had to uh take out his that. alien and, and stick in a real one but uh huh <laughs> But I think if you buy the uh, the graphic novel, it has both. It has the the alternate. I've seen the alternate somewhere. I can't remember if it was in the graphic novel or if it was somewhere else. But it's pretty funny. That's cool. I think that that'd be a great little extra to put inside the graphic novel. Yeah, kind of a that kind of a fun fun little joke thing. I think so. Yeah, I like it. I thought it was quite a coincidence when the one elephant. Of course, I think that was in the was that in the previous issue. No, I thought a... that was I thought it was kind of co- uh, convenient when the other elephant came in and hit, and I thought, what is this about? I hope they're going to explain it, and uh, luckily they did at the end. I was surprised. Did they? Yeah, they said at the end the um, the the elephant that attacked the uh, the attacking elephant that was the monarch's favorite steed. Oh right, but that didn't explain why they were. Was the other alien? Was the other elephant an evil elephant, and the monarch's elephant a good elephant? Yes. So basically, the guy riding the evil elephant was one of the monarch's enemies. It doesn't and, say that, though. Well, who are all these guys? The archer was one of the was one of the enemies of the monarch. Right. Um, the guy on the elephant was one of the enemies. And then all those guys, Dr. Doom and stuff, waiting for him at the end, were, again, enemies. Yeah, well, I, get, I, I hear you. That's I what I get out and, of it. And that that's has to be – that's the only explanation. Yeah. But but you're right. The conversation at the end where Data and Trolley are piecing in all the, the – the, you know, filling in all the plot holes. Right. It didn't make sense. How do you know all this? data did you did exactly. you actually get to talk to her because she hasn't said a word all this episode exactly right I, yeah. I i did not like that last page that's yeah. probably why i glanced over it so quickly in the oh. synopsis because it was just like made no sense exactly. you're well, just it, trying to cover exactly. your butt and there are convenient explanations because yeah. otherwise you wouldn't know what the hell is going on of course not because it's like and even after what, they what, tell what? you it doesn't make sense and you still don't know what went on well 
if if you take if you take them at their word at the end that their analysis is right, it makes sense. But how did they know that? That's my point. Well, I agree with that. I'm just saying. <laughs> right. You have to take it that that's the right answer, but I just don't, I I can't get past the fact that there's no way you should know that unless there were some missing pages and you filled it, figured it out there. Well, what I'd like to do is see some Star Trek parody type cartoon because I know they've been drawn in the past, but one where Spock is always wrong in his analysis. <laughs> always. So there's very little to go on, and he comes up and draws some conclusions out of the air like he normally does, and it's just totally wrong. And he keeps on getting these things wrong. That's what I want to see. That would be awesome. Like a, It's like a completely logical explanation, yet you come to find out you're absolutely wrong. Yes, and he keeps on finding he's absolutely wrong. And Kirk and Bones are looking at him going, shaking their heads. That would be hilarious. There you go. We'll write it. Okay, so, yeah, I guess the last thing I said about it in my comments was the explanation of the planet, uh, of the planet was kind of weak, <laughs> which we've just been talking about. Right. But anyway. That it? That's it. That's all i got to say. Okay, well, then uh, you want to run through the episodes that came out this, uh, this three oh, months? Sure. Let's go. I'm completely unprepared, but go. Let's go. Let's yeah, go. well, uh, they're they're either really good ones or really bad ones, so we won't have a lot to talk about. Okay. And there was a two-parter, so that takes up two weeks. Unification, part one oh. and part two. Okay. You're familiar with that, I'm sure. I'm familiar with that one. That is Spock's return to Star Trek in the Next Generation timeline. Mm-hmm. Great episode. I think we've talked about it many times on the show, so we won't have to talk about it here. One of my favorites, I think. Brings well, back Denise Crosby. Ah, uh, yes. As a Romulan. All right. The uh, next episode was A Matter of Time. And this is the one where a time traveler from the 26th century arrives to witness uh, Picard's attempts to uh, save a planet. It's not very memorable for me. I I remember it, but it wasn't one of my favorites. Hmm. I don't remember it very well. All right. In December, there was a movie called Star Trek VI that came out. Familiar with that one? I'm familiar with that one. <laughs> <laughs> Would you say that's one of the better movies or one of – I mean, you know, they always say that even numbers are the good ones. Um, I liked it because I liked how they were trying to do something different. Right. With um, the Sherlock Holmes kind of thing and the du- deduction and, uh, you know, you know, a, a mystery going on. I, I kind of liked it, but – it's funny because uh, when they came out with the 2009 Star Trek series, The Onion had a little uh, parody kind of thing, like talking about the movie. And they were talking about, rather than uh, than having intergalactic discussions of morals and, and planet- interplanetary problems, um, and they showed a shot from, from, from Star Trek VI. Uh-huh. Um, I mean, they were making it sound like it was terrible. I mean, you know, and, and some of the stuff was going on. The way you have action and adventure with young people and blah, blah, blah. It's like, oh, well, I, I like that stuff, too. You right. Know? I liked Star Trek VI. Anyway. Yeah, Star Trek VI was good. Yeah. Had that uh, uh, in the line of fire moment where where uh, Scotty. Oh, Scotty? 
<laughs> able to run across the whole the whole auditorium and take out the the uh, well, that was a president before he got shot. Oh wait a minute. Okay, hold on. Isn't that the one? No, no. Okay, you're talking about when Kirk ran across and knocked uh, the president out of the way. I thought Scotty did it. Well, Scotty, which made a lot more sense, Scotty shot the assassin. Oh. With his phaser. Okay. Now that that made more sense. Okay. All right. It's been a while since I've seen that movie. I, I was just remembering Scotty running across the, the room. <laughs> It's close because they're about the same size by that point. <laughs> Kirk did it, <laughs> and he and he and he leaps. That's right. Across. And it does that slow motion jump? And it's, uh, did he did he almost do a con thing? <gasps> you know something? <laughs> Maybe. Maybe. All right. The next episode uh, was called New Ground. Yeah. And uh, that one is memorable because it's the one where Alexander comes to live on the Enterprise. Uh-huh. So that was the first one where he actually is going to be a semi-regular. Yeah. Uh, the other storyline there was that uh, the crew helped test a vehicle for a new form of interstellar travel. That was where they were going to ride on that wave, kind of like a surfboard type thing. It, they never showed this new form of travel ever again it was a, a one-time thing yeah the, the only thing i remember about that episode was alexander acclimating himself to living on the ship yeah i remember that part all right and the last episode that came out this this uh three-month period was called hero worship ah, and this data. one is the what with data right right it was yep. the data's version of the bonding so right. instead of you know, just like Worf got Jeremy Alexander, Aster, uh, Data gets a little boy named Timothy, uh, who can't deal with the loss of his family, so he pretends like he's a uh, android. Exactly. So I, I think it's funny, and I, th- I think it's funny because in these issues that we read this month, Data has a little protege, mm-hmm. Worf has two proteges. It's kind of like. And then I read that this episode came out this month, and I was just like, "Oh, that's funny." <laughs> you can't get past the uh, our our crew members taking on little helpless kids. Exactly, because they're great guys. Come on, yeah, they're heroes. Yes, and we should worship them, right? Hence the name. Uh, maybe. Now it would be more so if they were real. They're not. Not yet, because it's the future. Oh, Is that what you good meant? point. Good point. <laughs> to he. Uh, all right. If unless you have anything else, we can uh, close up shop. I think. I I don't. So uh, what will we be doing next week? Next week, episode seventy-eight, we do uh, original series issues number twenty-eight, twenty-nine, and thirty. Great. Looking forward to it. Yep, should be good stuff. So uh, until then. Take care, everybody, and talk to you next week on Star Trek Comic Book Review. Exactly. Later, everybody. Thank you for listening to Star Trek Comic Book Review. All Star Trek stories and characters are copyrighted CBS Studios Incorporated. All music, stories, and characters discussed are for entertainment purposes only. You can email us at starttcomicbookreview at gmail.com. Visit us at our website, 
www.stcomicbookreview.com, subscribe to us via iTunes, or friend us on Facebook at first name, ST Comic, second name, Book Review. See you next time on Star Trek Comic Book Review.